Hello everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here um, as usual with Jeremy who's my husband and my co-host and today we have a very special guest Diana. Thank you so much Diana for being on the podcast today. You're welcome. So we, well Jeremy actually found Diana through LinkedIn right? Because one of our friends, Coach Jeremy, had written something about gratitude and about learning from shit that happens in life and how you can kind of overcome that, I guess. And then Jeremy saw this comment that Diana had wrote, Diane, sorry, had wrote, had written and showed it to me. He was like, oh my God, this is crazy. But also like, it'll be so interesting to talk to her and to get her full story. So I'm just going to read out what Diane wrote in the initial post just so that you have as much information as we had when we first started talking to her Um, and then we'll go from there and we'll dive straight in. So Diane wrote probably an overshare but you asked for it. I was raped and molested from diapers until 10. My dad died when I was 13. I subsequently got pregnant and placed that baby with a family with two parents. I tried killing myself at 17. Finally when I got my life together and tried to start my own family we had a miscarriage a full term still uh, stillborn and another miscarriage what do I get from all this experience and the knowledge to help others in their struggles I have gifts of healing and I'm a medium because of those experiences and I would not trace that trade those atrocities because I would not be me now now that was incredibly brave to put all of that into one kind of paragraph and share that online on the social media where anyone can see it. I think that's the first thing I told you is that uh, before anything, I want to say like how brave and courageous it is to just put this out there. Um, Like like, to be so vulnerable openly like that is really like, I mean, hands on on that. Just, yeah. Incredibly brave. Thank you. So if we start right at the beginning, where are you from? Um, where were you born? Let's start right because I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> so where were you born? Where were you from? How was your childhood at the beginning? What do you remember from that? You know, where does the story start? So my, well, if you want to start where I was born, I was born in Salt Lake, mm-hmm. but um, obviously that's not where I originate, originate from. Um, I remember the life I had before I came to earth. And my parents were visiting my dad's only sister because they just had their first boy. And they wanted a boy as well. And that was far enough back where you couldn't get an ultrasound to find out what you're having. So they didn't find out what I was until I was born. Mm -hmm. And they wanted a boy. And here I am. (laughs) (laughs) So... And then how was the early years? Because you mentioned that the abuse started at the age of, well, diapers. So that's, I mean. Yeah. What What do you remember? I mean, do you remember that? What do you remember the first time it happened or any, I don't know. Well, your body stores memories. Mm-hmm. So even though I have a mental block of exactly what happened, that memory is blocked. My body knows it. My spirit knows it. And actually I was, um, I went to a sound bath and, uh, the memory actually came to surface and, uh, it took me to that place and I had to turn it over to Jesus because I couldn't even look at the event. Mm. So, um, 
I just handed that over to him. I'm like, please take this. You know, it's too much. Yeah. We're not going to ask for details. Yeah. And- no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. so things better stay buried, I guess. And, yeah. And, and in a sense, it's probably better for you not well, to it's have Well, you're protecting yourself, yeah. aren't you? That's exactly. Exactly. Because then if, if you had that, being the light beings that we are inside our spirits, right? Um, and that's such a dark act. Um, our minds create a way for us to survive. So there's that oh, block you, there. Do you mind me asking who was it who was molesting you and touching well, whatever happened? Well, um, you don't have to say up until up until my realization at the sound bath, I thought it was only babysitters. Okay. But during the sound bath, it it was a family member. Okay. Okay. I'll and talk about that. I also feel like I was trafficked to other people that he knew, but that's not proven and I don't have any information about that, mm. either from my spirit or memory or anything, so. Yeah. Yeah. I guess as well, because it's such a young age where, I don't know, it just... Well, I asked my mom about it once, and since I have the gift of having so many memories of when I was a baby and being born in that, um, I asked my mom one time, I said, I know that there was blood in my diaper, which is really strange to hear. Mm -hmm. Like a baby can remember what's in their diaper, right? But I knew that there was blood in my diaper and she admitted that she saw that, but she didn't want to admit that that was happening to her child. So Mm -hmm. she just ignored it. And then, um, so people who are traumatized, their trauma comes out in different ways. And for me, I wet the bed for a really long time into grade school. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom, we tried a lot of different things to uh, correct the situation. And she didn't understand, well, that's a sign of trauma, right? Or a yeah. sign of abuse. But since she had chosen to block that, she, in her mind, went somewhere else. So she took me to the doctor and he said, well, you can hear some options. And they chose to put me on medication. And I looked up that medication and it's for severe depression. And the doctor said, you can, you can take her off of the, um, you can take her off the medication when either she stops sweating the bed or when she starts hallucinating. Well, I started hallucinating. Yeah, I started hallucinating and it was beautiful, but (laughs) they knew then that it was time to take me off the medication. So that must have been some strong stuff. How old were you then? At what age? Oh, like first grade. So like six or seven. Okay. I get confused Mm -hmm. with the grades because I'm from England. So when people say first grade, I'm like, okay, no idea what age that is. Yeah. Sorry to clarify. Okay. Well, and the cutoff is in September. And my birthday's in November, so I was older in my class. Yeah. Yeah. So I was probably six or seven at that time. Six. And um, little kids should not be on medication. It is not good for their brain. I mean, it's not Mm -hmm. probably good in general, but that's really, really young uh, to to start that. Yeah. I feel like in the States, though, it's kind of. So I, this is kind of going off, not off topic, but I mean, there's some, like a family friend that I know and their daughter was 16 and talking about, you know, 
the anxiety of a 16 year old and she was saying that all of her her all of her children's friends were all on antidepressants and anti-anxiety she was saying like it's crazy that in america they just oh you're 60 we'll just stick you on some medication yeah, or, rather what, what than, is it like yeah at, at a role at a role yeah. like there is like a, yeah. a very famous pill that teenager seems to be taken in the u.s we don't we don't have that in europe uh, i don't know if the legislation is different maybe but yeah it's, it wasn't the same when i was a kid but it's western medicine and it's very backwards here and people would rather try and solve their problems with pills instead yeah, of doing the hard work it takes to be healthy in a natural way yeah like with dealing with their um dealing with their anxiety dealing with their depression dealing with their trauma there's so much that happens in life but there are natural ways to deal with those things. And mm. um, I know that that's why, that's part of the reason I was led to touch for health kinesiology, which I'm certified in. And the body is so, so amazing. And it's connected to your mind and it's connected to your spirit. And there's ways that you can um, heal yourself naturally um, through diet and exercise and knowing pressure points on your body and spirituality, there's so many more healthy ways than medication to heal your body. Yeah. I, I guess the, <clears throat> you know, the the way I see it is that medication is not a way to solve the problem. It's a way to numb the problem. Exactly. Uh, which is easier in a sense than right. actually going down the path of understanding and, and, and healing and everything. It's the... Not the easy way out, mm. uh, but uh, it's, 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 it's not fixing the problem. At the exactly. So, um, um, how, how did you and, and your family find out about what was happening? Uh, so, one in third grade <clears throat> is when it stopped because um, my older sister had gone to the principal at school. So there, we had a babysitter one night and um, I don't know where the younger two siblings were, but me and my older sister and her friend, we were all being babysat and um, we were playing a game with a babysitter that was not appropriate with touching. And so the, I'm not sure if it was my sister or her friend that told somebody at school and they pulled me into the principal's office and asked me about it. And this is a person who had raped me and molested me previously. And he had threatened me that if I told my dad that my dad wouldn't love me anymore. And that was the most important to me. Yeah. So I didn't say anything. I think if I, <clears throat> I think if I would have told then things would have turned out so, so different. I mean, not that I know much about it, but it seems to be that that's often the case that people don't talk about it when right. it's happening and wait years and years. And some oh, people like never say it for, for different reasons. It's never the same reason. Um, well, but... I feel like a lot of the time it's the abusers that tell people, you know, if you tell anyone, you know, this will happen or that will happen and no one will believe you anyway. And it's your yeah. fault and, you know, you're to blame. And it's always victim blame. Exactly. You know, shaming, yeah, a lot of and especially as a child, you know, as a, like an adult with a child, you can obviously scare them and manipulate them to thinking something that isn't true. You know, exactly. So I mean, I'm so sorry that happened to you. It's awful. I can't imagine. 
Well, I know it was a catalyst for um, what happens in the future in my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And from what you remember, how was that affecting your childhood, like relationship with friends or, you know, like school, like did now that you think about it, because I guess when, when it's happening, you maybe not realize everything, but now that you think about it, how do you think that was affecting your, your life? It affected every aspect. Um, in school, I was bullied. Mm-hmm. I think, well, I know that um, children are more sensitive to feelings and vibrations and things of that sense. And they could sense something sexual about me. But it wasn't anything that I did myself. It was what happened to me that they were sensing. Mm -hmm. And since they didn't understand it, they were mean to me. They were so cruel to me. Uh, I I never had a friend until fourth, after fourth grade. And uh, they would chase me at recess and throw rocks at me, call me names that were not very creative. But, you know, kids are immature that way. So, um, but they acted different at church. I never got made fun of at church, but I didn't have anybody sit by me or be my friend at church either. Mm. So um, I could see what they did at church and what they did at school were different things and they weren't what they were taught at church. Yeah. So, um, and then boys are, sorry, go ahead. Um, Was it, do you mind me asking, was it a a man or woman that was, abusive or was it both or do you several men men so i'm wondering did did that affect how how much you trusted men in gen like in terms of friendships in terms of relationships in terms of family members in terms of whatever it was did that have an, an effect on you i have to say yes because um, a lot of times sex is equated with love mm-hmm. and they are not the same thing. Yeah. So some people are like, oh, I love you, but really they lust and not love. And those are different things as well. Yeah. So, um, jumping ahead after my dad died, I went looking for love because that's what I knew from the abuse. And that's how I ended up pregnant at 13. Oh. So we'll get to that. So. It's all. Yeah, yeah, no, I see. It's all interconnected, yeah. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes sense now you, you, you say it, okay. So you mentioned that you had one friend. Mm-hmm. And then, so we spoke briefly yesterday just to kind of discuss what we're going to talk about. And you mentioned that then you, shortly after that, you moved. And it was hard then to find new friends. So talk to us a little bit about that situation. So. At the the last day of fourth grade, we were going in from recess and the popular, I always walked behind everybody else because that was less teasing. It was less um, getting stuff thrown at me. It was just easier to stay behind everybody to protect myself. So I was walking right behind the cool group and uh, there was a little hole in the pavement. So you'd go from the grass to the pavement to the building And there's a little hole in the pavement and one of the girls tripped in that hole and fell. And she thought that another one of those girls had tripped her and she was immediately 
ejected from the group. Like they totally, they're like, you're not our friend. We hate you. You're not part of our group anymore. Wow. So not cool anymore. Yeah. Right. So, um, I went up to her. So they ran ahead. The cool group ran ahead and I stayed back with this girl and I'm like, I saw what happened. But even if I told the truth, they're not going to believe me because they make fun of me. I'm not the cool. I'm not in the, their group. Mm. So really, I got a friend by default. Yeah. But I'm I'm still thankful for it because I'd never had that before. It's, it's interesting. You said you 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 got a friend by default. You got a friend because you're kind of helping her. Yeah, because she wouldn't because have. You, yeah, and because you knew that you know what it felt to be pushed away and not accepted by the other groups so you maybe wasn't conscious but you knew what she was gonna go through uh and you give her a hand to help her out yeah i didn't look at it that way but that's yeah that's true i mean that's the way i, I see it <laughs> uh, yeah and then you moved how far away did you move and what was the cause of that move was that um for your family or no um uh, the house that we lived in was very small. So there, we were a family of six and we lived in a three bedroom house. Wow. So me and my sister shared and me and my two sisters shared a room. My parents had their room in because my brother's a boy, obviously brother. <laughs> he had his own room and um, we all shared one bathroom. It was a very small house for that big of a family. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, you're going to need more room. You're bigger people. You need more space. Um, and my dad had gotten a, promotion at work. And so, um, I don't know if they saved or how that worked out, but they, um, they bought a bigger house and we all got our own rooms. Okay. So I was friends with this, this girl, fourth grade and fifth or sorry, it was the last day of fourth grade. So fifth grade and sixth grade. And then after that we moved and it was harder to stay friends because we were young and didn't have as much access to telephone and, uh, transportation and that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, how was what was the 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 effect on your family with your parents and your brothers and sisters about what was going on? Um, what was the dynamic about that within the family? For which for moving or for oh, abuse no, for, or yeah, for the abuse? Yeah, sorry. Well, when. Um, when the event happened at school, when I went to the principal's office, um, that was the only event spoken of. And to my parents, they didn't know anything else. They only know about that one event. And um, after my dad died, my mom told me her side of it, that my when my dad found out about that event, he went and he talked to the boy. Mm. I don't know if that's true. It's hearsay because it's something my mom learned from my dad. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, but then everything from then stopped. Okay. Have you ever spoken to your sister about this? Because I, I mean, I gather from what you said earlier, it happened to her as well. Did, have you ever spoken to her about what happened? It happened to both my sisters. And um, my older sister, she's thankful that she has no memory whatsoever of anything. Mm. And she counts that as a blessing so that she can go on with her life. Yeah. But my younger sister, um, after, um, after my dad died, she had her, uh, 
her struggles as well. And that's not my place to tell, but, um, so I, you know, how I said yesterday that I abused myself. So, um, after I'd placed that baby for adoption, I spent the next three years abusing myself while my sister, she was going through her trials and struggles as well. Hmm. So I think because of the memories, um, we had to go through our own, our own yeah, things. You had your own struggles and yeah, your yeah. Different, different ways, but yeah, different ways to deal with it, I guess. But I think we're much more healthier at dealing with problems than if we didn't have the memory because we've had a lot of therapy. We deal with our feelings. We deal with our issues and problems in a much healthier way. I guess it also teaches you how to deal with other issues in life once you start to work on, you know, processing how to get through everyday life, let alone huge traumatic things. I guess, you know, learning how to deal with that helps you with other aspects of your life as well. Yeah, talk about perspective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, so then when that stopped, uh, that, that, I mean, that that's enough for one person. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, like you had to go through uh, losing your dad pretty early on. So when you're 10 years old, if I remember correctly, it was, I was 13. 13, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had just moved. So not only did I lose my best friend from moving, my only friend, and then my dad dies because mm. he was my only friend before I made that friend at school. And so I had nothing. Yeah. And because my mom wanted a boy and I wasn't a boy, I felt like I was a disappointment to her. So, um, because I was my dad's friend too, I wasn't really friends with my mom. So I felt like I had no one that loved me, which obviously isn't true, but that's the way I felt at the time. And is that when you said that you started trying to find love in other places, I guess from boys and things? Yeah, I hung out with, well, I didn't have any. I didn't have any regular friends when I moved. I tried making friends, but the neighborhood was uh, an older neighbor, well, an established neighborhood, and the kids already had all their own friends. It's and so, hard to move somewhere new. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wasn't really accepted into any one group. I just mm-hmm. tried to hang out with kids where I could. I wasn't very successful at it. Um, but there was one girl who, uh, was hanging out with older men mm-hmm. and that's how I was introduced to the man that I had sex with. And how much older was he than you? If you don't, I mean, much if I older. Any, if I ask any questions that are too far, just say, I don't want to yeah, answer because yeah. I can be quite nosy. <laughs> he's so about, he's about a decade older than me. Wow. Early 20s. But, um, by seventh grade, I was fully grown. I looked like a woman. Yeah. Uh, so people would look at me that way instead of being 13. Yeah. And then after I had the baby, that really made that womanhood of my body. Yeah, it changes. Mm-hmm. And so people would look at me that way and then they would... And then because of my experiences, I seemed more mature. Yeah. So... Everything. Yeah. And how was it when you found out you were pregnant? How did you feel? Well, I knew that I knew when we were done having sex that I was pregnant. 
and that I would have a boy and that I would place him for adoption. I knew that all immediately once we were done. Wow. And how did your family react, your mom? <sighs> my mom said she wasn't surprised, which really, really hurt my feelings because I had never... I hadn't done anything like that mm. before. I wasn't that kind of person. So to have all the abuse from being younger and then my mom thinking that I was promiscuous, mm. just on top of her not, on top of her wanting a boy and then I wasn't, like it just compounded everything. Mm. And then she sent, when I started to show, she sent me away, which was even. Like you want your mom to love you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you needed support at this time. Obviously you needed family. I mean, whoever people to be there for you, to support you, yeah. to assist you psychologically and, and through what was going on physically as well. Cause I got 13 years old going through that. It's confusing as hell. I, you don't know what's going on. I mean, it's confusing when you're in your twenties or thirties. <laughs> uh, so I don't even imagine at 13 years old. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, that that's the time where you need support from anyone around you obviously yeah. so i guess yeah that, that, that must have been pretty i think as well disappointing your parents for everyone is always yeah. the last thing you want to do like they can be mad they can be angry but disappointment is the hardest to especially when you don't the... yeah when you don't understand fully understand and, and 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 you know that you haven't done anything wrong it's not like you well in that digging a certain way or um I told my mom too. So after my dad died, I felt free to tell the truth because I knew that he was in a place that he would always love me. So then I told my mom, she, cause I started sneaking out after he died. I started sneaking out and she was trying to tell me how dangerous it was and all that. And I'm like, well, I've already been raped. So, you know, who can hurt me more? And she was shocked. She was truly shocked. And I, and she didn't believe me. And I told her flat out, I said, this is why I didn't tell you because I knew you wouldn't believe me. Yeah. I guess that's the thing as well, like you said about, you know, well, I've already had, I've already been raped. So what does it matter kind of thing? I guess being raped from such a young age and having that as kind of normal, I don't want to say normal, but you know, part of no, like like what this, happened. Yeah, this kind of reference. But uh, it must. The threshold is. It must. I mean, it's hard, you can't compare to something you've never experienced. So you can't experience not having that as a childhood, but it must be a different experience having that happen. And then your relationship then with sex. And it's not like a sacred thing that you do when you're madly in love. It's just something that happens. You know, it kind of change. It yeah. must change the way that different people see sex on the whole, whether it's with someone that you love or whether it's a one night stand mm. or whatever it is. Having gone through that as a child, it must change how that affects you afterwards and how you, that your relationship with sex. Well, and I definitely feel robbed because people talk about purity and um, innocence. Mm -hmm. And I, n I never had that. Yeah. So you got pregnant and your mum sent you away. What was, again, if this is too much, you can say you don't want to answer. What was the process like deciding that you were going to put the baby up for adoption because I know you decide once you had sex you knew you were pregnant you were going to uh, um, adopt well you're going to put him up for adoption anyway well what like was that process like actually deciding this is going to happen I also guess as 13 years old you can't do that by yourself and you need 
adults with you, right? Right. Well, um, I knew that was going to be the result. I didn't know the path that was going to take me to that result. Okay. So I went, I went home and I told my mom and I told you about that. And then, mm -hmm. um, I called the guy like a week later and I told him and he called me a liar and a slut and a bunch of other nasty names mm -hmm. and that the kid wasn't his. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, I've never been with anybody else before. Mm. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to give you a choice in your child's life. Yeah. And he still denied. And um, my mom said, well, this is statutory rape. Whether you consented or not, he's too old. And uh, so when he told me that he didn't want anything to do with the baby, I helped my mom press charges against him. Wow. Okay. Because um, it's, I mean, that's pedophilia as well. If he was 23 and you were 13... It's... Yeah. Okay. And uh, he got out early. He only served half his time for good behavior. Okay. And he did show me pictures of other kids that he had with other women. Wow. So he had, he had five, four or five other kids, and they each all had different moms. Wow. How did that make you feel? I didn't care at the time because of everything that was going on. Yeah, you got your own things to worry about. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted what I thought was love. Hmm. Wow. So. And, and so what, what was the process about um, putting up the, the, the child for abortion? Because obviously your adoption, you, adoption sorry, <laughs> your mother had to help you out and, and mm -hmm. uh, in terms of paperwork and everything, I guess, so... Yeah, she took me to an agency, and um, I was very thankful for that because in that agency, they have a lot of different programs that help support birth moms, and uh, you have counselors there, you have other girls or women who are placing their baby for adoption for whatever reason, and so they had, um, they had a support group there, and I had a counselor there that I really, I really trusted, and... Uh, you know, I told her that we, me and my mom, my mom helped me and in that way. And, um, I told the counselor everything and, uh, she asked if I wanted to choose the family and I said, yes. And so she gave me stack and stack after stack of folders. Like each folder was like two inches thick about wow. each family. Yeah. And so I went through... I went through like 28 families, 28, wow. 30 families. But since I was sent away and I was alone, I had time to go through those. And so I, I got to pick his family and uh, his mom's adopted. And at the time she was a teacher and his dad was an accountant. And they lived in Utah somewhere. I don't know that because they, they edit the file. So there's non-identifying information. Right. Yeah. But a few years ago, I, I made a video and I put it out there online and I've um, put out um, information on several platforms and adoption groups. I went to Vital Statistics and registered. I did DNA so that if he wants to find me 
uh, for answers or whatever, you know, it's his life. And I respect that if he wants to find me for whatever reason that he'll be able to. I was going to ask if you were going to, if you had any contact with him or not. And I guess it's kind of. Because le- I guess legally you are not. Yeah. You, it, you, can't, you don't have any information to find him, right? Right. It was a closed adoption. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, when you say you select a family, yeah, you pick a profile. Yeah, you pick like the, 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 the right. family, um, I don't know, they don't have kids, they do what they do, where they live. and Right. Okay, I understand. Okay. So then after the adoption, um, if I remember, is when you started self-harming? Yeah, I, um, I was very promiscuous. And that's what I, that's how I harmed myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it was a very dark time. I guess it's just a like a a way to cope or to try and deal with it or take control as well. I think is another thing of like, you know, all these things that I can't control have happened in my life, and this is me taking control and you know doing what I want to do, even if it's good or bad. It doesn't necessarily matter. It's just taking control of whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and were you still going to? high school yeah yeah the the first day back to school so uh the summer after eighth grade is when I had him and so I went back for ninth grade and it was a a middle school and Hmm. um the time that I went there it was six oh sorry it was seven eight and nine at the time and so I went back for ninth grade and uh, the very first day back there was this very crude boy. Uh, he was a twin. His twin is a sister. And, uh, I was standing in line to get lunch and, you know, I thought, you know, I can do this. I can go back to school. You know, it's not so bad because of my previous experience in grade school when they made fun of me in that. And mm. so I'm like, okay, I don't know who knows what, cause you know how kids spread rumors in that, but the day wasn't bad and I was, I was going to lunch and this kid, he goes, do you want to go out with me? You'll be an easy, you know, F. And yeah. So I, yeah, I went, uh, I just went to the bathroom and cried. I just skipped lunch altogether. And I'm like, you know, I can write out school. School is to learn. School's not for friends. School's not for socializing. You go there to learn. You learn, you go home, you know. So I hated school. There were subjects that I loved and sometimes a happy memory would pop up here or there, but in general the environment, school. The, en- yeah. the whole environment was not, well, yeah, there's, there's nothing great to remember, I guess, for you about, about yeah. the whole process. I'm not speaking as much as usual because I'm just. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's. That's the thing. It's just. It's like, just impossible to for my brain to process everything that you've been through. Uh, yeah. It's just so much that I. I. I uh, it just. Well, we've not even. It's leaving me speechless. Subjects. Like honestly, like, it's, um, the amount of stuff you've gone through is more um, than ten people in ten lakhs. It was just crazy amount uh, of. Well, I think one thing that really helped me is that, um, so from before I came to earth, I tried to hold on to memories and, um, 
they they eventually fade away because um, you're not supposed to remember so that you can learn the things that you need to learn here on Earth. Um, but my, I don't know if you'd call her a guide or a teacher or, I mean, she's not a mom, but like everybody before you come to Earth, you, like you have a guide or a teacher. So I told her, I'm like, I need these memories. If I'm going to go through this shitty life, I need something to hold on to. And she's like, well, you can't have this memory. You can't have like, so um, I did end up with a handful of memories. Um, and then I told her, I'm like, please, please don't leave me. I really, really need you. And she goes, I'll be there for you. You just won't be able to see me. Wow. So I, I know, and I felt them. I couldn't see them and I couldn't hear them when I was young but I could feel them watching me and uh, helping me to feel that I am loved. Oh, yeah. So I really hung on to that. Um, since I didn't have friends, I, I spent a good portion of my childhood in the uh, park behind my house. I just hopped the fence and hmm. my mom's like, sure, you can be there as long as you come when I call. You can, you can be over there. Right. So... I spent a lot of my days outside. It was very comforting to feel supported by nature, hmm. even if I wasn't supported by humans. Yeah. I, I, I was, before you started speaking, I was going to ask you, with everything going on, what, what were you like holding on to? Uh, what yeah. was your, 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 your light uh, to keep going? Because, uh, I mean, you, you did say that, obviously, you've, 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 you've tried to, hurt yourself and 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 things like that but um you need some sort of positive things going on in life so i guess you just answered the question <laughs> okay um, um and um if you don't want to answer i totally understand um but you said you 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 tried multiple times to, to hurt yourself uh I've heard before that when people sometimes try to hurt themselves uh, or even try to commit suicide, it doesn't mean they want to die. Right. They're just, they need the attention. That That's like a... The attention or some feeling or just like, yeah. Yeah, that's um, a cry for help. Could you could you tell me like what, what you feel about that and what was your... So the first time... Um, the first time I tried to kill myself, uh, it was the same week that I met my husband. But all I knew about him was his name and his phone number. That's all I knew. So he wasn't even on my radar. Mm. Um, I drowned myself in the bathtub. Uh, I decided, you know, if this is what life is, I, I just don't. I'm done. Mm. I'm done. I'm ready to move on. I, you know, so I wasn't looking for attention. I was looking to leave. It wasn't a cry for help. I really wanted to leave the planet. So I drowned myself um, because I have such a strong spirit. And my spirit, instead of my body telling me what to do, I tell my body what to do, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I told my body, you're going to stay underwater until you don't move anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was very painful. My lungs burned like somebody set them on fire. That, that's insane because I, th mm -hmm. I I thought that it was actually pretty much impossible to drown yourself because naturally the instinct kicks in and 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 
even if you don't want to, you get out and, and, and breathe. Well, I'm in charge of my body, not the That's, other way around. So wow. I'm like, you're going to stay here until, until you die. Mm. And so, um, I, I was laying there and I could feel my body shutting down and my lungs were burning. My brain was screaming for oxygen. And I'm like, we're, you know, I'm done. I'm leaving. This is my choice. And uh, everything went black and dark. And so when you close your eyes, your eyes still take in the light from the space around you. Yeah. So unless you're in a cave or someplace where light cannot penetrate, have you ever had that experience inside a cave and they just shut off all the lights and then your eyes can't focus because it doesn't oh, have yeah. any? Yeah. 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 So there was a difference between closing my eyes and then um, having... Uh, my body shut off and then I could feel my eyes stop focusing. Mm. So I felt my, my whole body shut down and uh, my spirit uh, was in another place. I can't say whether or not it left my body, but I know my spirit was in another place. So everything was, I could feel matter around me. I knew I was in another place, but everything was dark and it has the most unconditional love. Like you, you can't even, there's no human words to express the love, the joy, the peace, the understanding, the feeling of belonging that is in that place. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was just taking it in. I was curious about where I would go next or where I would be next or, you know, um, so I was just taking it in and then my dad shows up, which I didn't expect. And so I, I had, it was still dark all around us. And I think that was not that it was dark, but that it was a lack of information from my surroundings. So my dad shows up and I can see him like I see you, but it was still dark, Got it. which to our human mind makes no sense. Yeah. yeah. So um, my dad shows up and he goes, what the hell do you think you're doing? You have work to do. You get back there and you do a good job. I was like, I didn't know angels could curse. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was it. I, I came back and um, it was a very shocking experience because I was not, it wasn't something that I expected. It wasn't something, you know, I was done with earth. I wasn't going back. Yeah. And then for my dad to show up and be so commanding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I was very thankful. I'm so thankful for that memory, uh, to see him like I see you mm -hmm. and, uh, to have the spirit reenter the body is so painful, just as painful as, well, it was different from the pain of leaving, but I could feel all my sensory 
come back on. And so I could feel like my skin and my receptors and my nerves and all that come back online. And, um, my, I sat up from the tub. I sat up in the tub and I took a huge breath in and it was very painful as well. That sounds like such a powerful, incredible, scary, everything experience. Like everything all rolled into one. It sounds like everything just like, wow. And I'm sure I don't do that. I don't do it justice. No, because I, yeah, I guess you can't explain what you actually yeah. felt. Like it's hard to get it into words and, you know, make it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And. I've got so many things going through my head at the same time. Jeremy is never speechless, by the way. You are just ruining it. He has no idea what's going on. No, like, I I, want to kind of stay on track. But um, after describing what, when when you're talking and you're describing this place as full of love and joy and everything, like, what came to my mind is like, would you want to go back there? If it's so loving, if if this feeling was so good rather than going back to the world where you have been experiencing so much pain. Um, like, would you try to just go back there to feel this love again? I did. I never tried to kill myself after that. Hmm. I have died another time after that, but that wasn't because of me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So... <laughs> I'll I'll keep us back on track. Yeah. <laughs> so you met your husband. So you knew his name and his phone number. Yeah. So how did um, you meet him, and how did that then turn into this love story where you're still married now and still because you were still quite you were quite young then. Oh yes. How yes. did that start? How did you meet him? So, uh, in Salt Lake, you could um, we call it dragging State Street. It's illegal now, but um, back then you'd go up there. You could race cars. You could look at people ah. would. Um, you could meet people there. You could find drugs there. You could find dancing there. Like you can, like it was a huge Friday Saturday night thing. Okay. And you could see the movies, like right, the right. Fast and furious fast kind and of <laughs> thing, <laughs> right? That's what I can imagine in my head, like the cars and the girls. And the drugs yeah, and yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So I went up there. I went up there originally because I heard of a gathering of young women of faith having a meeting up there of like uh testimony or something. I don't remember what it was, but it was supposed to be up by the Capitol. And I couldn't find, I talked to my friend from high school, not the same one that I, from before, but a new friend from high school. Um, I talked her into going up there with me and um, we went up there and we couldn't find the event for some reason. And I talked her into taking, cause you could take the freeway home like the big highway or you could take uh street roads home but it takes longer mm-hmm. so i talked her into i'm like let's go down on state street you know just to look and i talked her into doing that and i'm like you know if we don't meet anybody it's fine just we can drive through there and so that's how i i met my husband and uh <laughs> the first they so we drove around and we saw them and then we ditched them. 
So we drove faster. We like went through cars or took a turn and to go back around or what have you. And we ditched them three different times and they kept finding us. And, uh, cause we, we were in my mom's, uh, what is it, teal Ford Taurus, the popular car and color of the time. And then, uh, my husband and his friend, they were in an old continental. It was white. I couldn't tell you the year it was like, it was a lot older, like 80 something or 70 something continental. I don't know anything about cars. It was much older and, but it was a nice car. And, uh, we, you can't drive and talk at the same time. So you got to stop somewhere so you can talk to them. So we stopped at a restaurant and we had, uh, my husband had coffee and I had soda, I think. I don't remember. Anyway, we sat there and we talked for maybe an hour and then we exchanged numbers and went our way. Mm. And so that's how, mm. and it, this was at the, the end. So, um, when he, him and I started dating is when I started, when I stopped hurting myself. Mm -hmm. So how old were you when you met him? How old was that? Six, I, it was 1995. I was 16 or 17, 17, okay. 16 or 17. Yeah. When we so met, then I guess you dated for a couple of years and got married. Yeah, we, so we met in the spring of 95 and we ended up married in the fall of 96. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we dated for a year, we're engaged for six months, and then last month was our 24th anniversary. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, it's That's amazing. I feel like uh, it's a rare thing. Especially, I feel like, especially for young couples, like if it's your first real boyfriend, girlfriend thing, or high school sweethearts, to get married quickly I mean I say quickly it was a year and a half after first meeting and then to still be married 24 years later is incredible because usually it kind of you know childhood sweethearts yeah. last two 20s years up and, or, and yeah. I want to have fun and yeah. <laughs> nothing or... yeah well, well congratulations I knew so it was the second week we knew each other and I asked him I'm like well where do you see this relationship going you know do you want to be just friends and he said immediately no <laughs> and I knew then that we would be married. Wow. And then on one of our dates, um, one of our dates, or maybe we were engaged at the time. We were being either engaged or shortly before that mm -hmm. when we were on a date. And I looked, I had this strange feeling and I looked in the back seat and I saw all the kids we would have. Oh. Wow. Yeah. I want to talk to you about children because this is where it, like, I don't know how to say it. So you've basically, you've had a miscarriage, a stillborn, and another miscarriage. Mm -hmm. But you also have four children who, I don't know how to word this, are alive. I don't know if that's the, I'm, yeah. I'm offensive. I don't know how to word it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, we always struggle. So Technically, yeah. 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 <laughs> we've had info loss as well and we struggle with that, like. I always struggle uh, with when you like, complete a form. And they ask how many children you have. Living. Yeah. yeah. I always like, like. They never specify living. It's, it's like, like, well. It's a, yeah. um, well, it's strange for me because people are like, how many kids do you have? I'm like, well, are you talking about how many pit kids I gave birth to? 
how many times yeah. I've been pregnant, how many kids yeah. I've raised, how many kids that have Lovely. lived with me. Yeah. Because there was uh, 14 years there that I took in troubled teens to my home. Oh, wow. How many? Uh, usually three at a group of three at a time because they were in a program and they came from out of state and they needed a place to stay. And so um, they would come stay the night. They would uh, wash their clothes, take a shower, make a meal for the next day. And I'd take them back to school in the morning. I did that for 14 so, years. Before we go into kids stuff, I've got a question. Okay. <laughs> um, no, no, because I mean, I, I think it's super interesting. So, like, I mean, for 15, 16 years, uh, it was pretty dark, not much joy, happy moment, and everything. And then you meet this boy who you start dating, and quickly there is a connection, and, and, and you know pretty quickly that. You're going to be married and, and, and you're going to be having kids. Uh, I mean, that must have been a breath of fresh air. And I mean, a massive breath of fresh air, some light. Like, how how was this sudden change? Uh, it wasn't a breath of fresh air. We struggled. We had to grow together. So we spent our our first years partying and we weren't very church-going people. We... Um, We, you know, we just partied it up. And so um, in the beginning, too, he um, – so in my senior year, we lived together in an apartment with his sister. And I had gone out on the weekend dancing because I still – those dark years, those three dark years of abusing myself was still at the surface. Mm -hmm. And I went out one night with a friend and I didn't come back till like three in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that what worried him, you know, rightly so. Mm -hmm. And that's the night where I had told him everybody that I'd ever been with from the men who raped me to all the men that I had been with over the recent years. So he knew every little secret about me. Mm. And I don't know why he chose to stay with me because I felt so dirty. Like, who's going to want a girl that has been tainted from almost birth? You know, who, who chooses that? And then for her to go and be with all these men, you know, who wants that? So I was shocked. I was shocked when he still wanted to be with me because he'd never been with anybody before. He'd never had a girlfriend. He'd never kissed a girl before, you know? Wow. Yeah. So my mind that way is blown. So, um, but in later years when I became more spiritual and I started remembering those memories that I wanted to hold on to that I spoke about earlier, one of those memories is of him. Mm. And then I chose him then. Mm. And I've been chasing him for what seems like an eternity. Mm. So our, our relationship, our being together is long from, from before this world. Yeah. Can I just say, thank you so much for being honest. Like it's, 
it's just so nice and refreshing to have someone just be like I don't know just just be honest I feel like yeah vulnerable and honest and raw and open with us it's just so refreshing yeah yeah it's hard to find that because I I try and be open with people online and they think that I'm lying or they'll lie to me and then I'll catch them in the lie and that pushes them away because I was honest and they weren't and so that just stops the relationship right there I feel like as well it's like it's so important to have these conversations they're difficult to have and like, I know this is difficult for you to talk about all these different things that are happening but I also think it's so important to do so because by you talking so openly and honestly it's going to heal so many people who listen to this and who maybe have similar experiences or have no idea what you've experienced and it's going to completely open their eyes so I just want to say thank you so much for everything you're sharing we're not done at all yet by the way guys don't don't stop <laughs> listening we've still got a lot of stuff to go yeah to that thank was you so much for being so so honest with us and open you're welcome. And that's my whole, that's, I know that that's part of why I've been through what I've been through is so that people don't feel alone. So people know where to look. So people know that there's hope that they can, um, they can, uh, feel loved. They can know that there are good things to come. Yeah. Yeah. So you and your husband are obviously happily married and you decide you want to start having children um did you have the three losses consecutively and then have four children consecutively or did it happen yes okay so, so talk to me about the first one, so we two, got three however you want to do it so we got married in 96 we had a miscarriage in 97 we had a stillborn in 98 and another miscarriage in 99 and then finally our first daughter that we brought home in 2000 Wow. So that first like pregnant, back to back, pretty much. yeah, it was, so I would, I was pregnant basically for four years Yeah. and the body needs at least a year to recover between each pregnancy. Yeah. So that first time I was pregnant in, uh, 97, my dad came to me cause I suspected, but I wanted confirmation. And my dad came to me in a dream and he said, yes, you're having twin girls. And then I was shocked when I uh, miscarried. How I was confused. Far you miscarried? Ten weeks, oh, and that's... yeah, it's not very far. But when a woman knows she's pregnant, it seems like she's immediately attached to that child or children. Yeah. And uh, see, ten weeks. I weeks went quite far. I had one at. Sorry to talk about me, but I had one at five weeks. And then another one at 11 weeks. And the difference between that was crazy. Like the amount of stuff that came out. And, and the... one at eight in Cuba. One at eight, yeah. Yeah, five, eight, and 11. I forgot that one. <laughs> it's hard but, to keep up when you've but, had so many. But the, no, but what's, but what's different than you is the 11 stopped growing at six weeks. Yeah. So um, Well, it was all slightly been, different. It must have been but different like, as well, but, uh, physically. Yeah, but... Oh, I've lost what I was saying. What was I saying? You've talked to me now. I've forgotten. This always happens. Every episode, I'll, I start talking and I forget. My point was, I forgot what my point was. Anyway, back to you. Sorry. <laughs> I think it was just that, oh, that was it. Just because like, you know, 10 weeks or 11 weeks is far along. Like the difference between five weeks and then eight weeks and 11 weeks is a huge difference. So yes. even though other people might think, oh, 11 weeks, that's not even three months. Well, actually, it's it's pretty it's close. Still, Yeah, it's still really, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because at that point, that. at that point, the baby has little stubs for arms and legs and it has eyes and it, like as yeah. even before you know that you're pregnant even, the baby has a heartbeat. Yeah. So um, I went into the doctor and he's like, yeah, you miscarried. And to make sure that you don't get infection, we want to do a dilation and curettage, a DNC. And that's when they open your, um, they open your uterus or they open, they open you up down there and mm -hmm. they scrape everything out. And, uh, so that ma they make sure that nothing's left behind to get infected. Yeah. So, uh, we went to the hospital late at night and to do this surgery and, uh, well, because I was young and I trusted the doctor that he knew what he was talking about. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want an infection. So let's do this. Yeah. And we went in there. I totally forgot about this memory till now, but, um, we went in and we went in together, you know, he's, he's my biggest support, my husband. And, uh, the doctor said, yeah, you have time to go up to the cafeteria and get something to eat. Well, it went a little quicker than planned. And, um, I was in the recovery room and I woke up and I was already crying. I was crying in my sleep. And I'm like, where's my husband? And so um, my husband brings a lot of feelings up in me, my true feelings. He, mm -hmm. he's, like a, he's like a light that way to my feelings that he brings those out. And um, it just, I just cried even more. It, it's a very emotional process. Yeah. And um, what made it worse was that they... They brought in another woman to the recovery room because it's just a general recovery room from surgery. Well, she had just had a C-section. So they were on the phone with family. They're like, yes, we had the baby girl. She's so beautiful. And I told the nurse, I'm like, why? You guys need to move it's this, torture. ladies. Yeah. It's torture. It was horrible because here we are in this huge loss, our first pregnancy. And it, yeah. And then the nurse, they... They kept apologizing, but that didn't take the salt out of the wound. No. <laughs> God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And then and the then... next year, sorry, go ahead. No, go on. I was just going to say, and then the next year. Yeah. And then the next year, oh, I didn't expect to get pregnant so soon, you know, because the, the first one was so traumatic. Yeah. Um, so as the months got on and the baby was doing awesome and everything looked well and we kept a close eye on it because of the previous experience and yeah. um did you feel psychologically ready both of you to be pregnant again um i'm not sure but it sure was healing okay. we really felt it helped the it helped heal our feelings from the previous and did you um, it's, it's just interesting that we've never had this kind of conversation with someone else who went through something similar. Yeah. So it's just for me like to see if we can relate to a few things. That's why I'm going to ask this question. Um, like the first pregnancy, we did a test and we were like, oh my God, we're going to have a baby. And like, <laughs> we looking at names and getting books and the whole thing, you know, like you get excited, like, like it's done deal. And well, then, and it was kind of different for me because I had already had the baby that I placed oh, for adoption. Yeah. So I already knew yeah. what was coming. Yeah. And thing is like when we had the second pregnancy, 
the first three months until the, the first scan, uh, we now we were aware of like the miscarriage risk and everything. We tried to prevent the excitement, you know, we were more like yeah. with our feelings and everything. Do you have yeah. similar? Yeah, we waited until um, 12 weeks until we told anybody that we were pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I think for the first yeah, exactly 12 weeks, was, I was like, I'm not pregnant. I just feel a little bit ill. I've got sore <laughs> boobs. I'm exhausted, but just ignore it. Yeah. You didn't want to get attached to then be heartbroken again. So it's yeah. kind of a similar situation. You know, after you've had a miscarriage, you then treat your next pregnancies differently. Whereas people who you, never you have a miscarriage, you protect yourself. Straight yeah. Away, they're like, I'm pregnant. I'm having a baby. And we were always a bit like, no, you're pregnant. Like, yeah. there's a difference between being pregnant and actually having the baby, which obviously, you know, we both know all too well. Yeah. Yeah, which I think people who haven't experienced uh, miscarriage, they don't go through the feeling of, yeah, I'm pregnant. Do I really want to be pregnant? Do I want to go through these feelings again? Is it going to happen again? So instead of being so, yeah, so instead of being so excited that you're having a baby and adding to your family, you're like, what's going to happen? You know, I'm scared. You know, what's going to happen? Am I going to be hurt again? Do I really want to be like, there's so many other feelings that come with that. Than people who haven't experienced it. So the pregnancy was going well. Yeah. Everything on schedule and everything, you know, was went along normal. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went into labor and they're like, this is how you, this is how you track your labor. This is how you know when you want to go to the hospital. And um, so I did all that and uh my younger sister who was going through her stuff at the time, I was um, visiting her and uh, we were in a meeting and um, we had split into different groups. So I was in another classroom with my mom and my older sister and my younger sister was in another room with her group. And I'm like, "Um, these contractions aren't going anywhere and they're getting pretty close. So I had my mom and my sister drive me to the hospital from there. And, um, I called my husband and I'm like, yeah, you need to meet us there. You know, my mom, my mom's driving me there, just meet us there. And, um, as soon as, and me and my, me and my husband talked and he only wanted me and him there for the birth all with all of our kids. It was just me and him. He didn't want any family or any, anybody else. So, um, when my husband got there, my mom and my sister left and, um, they, they hooked up all the monitors and stuff. And then when they hooked the one on your belly to monitor the baby, Mm -hmm. they couldn't find her heartbeat. And so, um, they left the monitor on, you know, like the little circle Yeah. and, um, they brought in an ultrasound machine. And they had their most skilled nurse come in because they wanted to be sure. They didn't want to give me false news. Yeah. And they told us there was no heartbeat. So then I now have to birth this baby that we can't keep. And so then that doubles on me from when I had to place... His name, I named him RJ. That's not his name, but when I had to place RJ for adoption, so I had this baby that I didn't take home. And now I have another baby with a man I love 
that I don't get to take home. I'm so sorry you went through this. It was similar with us, and it's just, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I'm so sorry. They, um, they let us hold her as long as we wanted. Yeah. She had an extra thumb on her hand. <laughs> and uh, the doctor said that that's normal. It would have fallen off if she would have lived. It was just hanging on by a piece of skin, but... Um, I was meditating last night and, um, I've been, I've been meditating a lot lately so that I can make my spiritual gifts stronger. And within minutes of, um, meditating, she ran up to me. I could actually sense what she looks like. She's like, mom, I missed you so much. Wow. And this was just last night. So. Wow. She has uh, super curly, long, dark brown hair, and she looks a lot like her sister. Oh, because that first miscarriage, the twins, mm -hmm. yeah, was this one that was stillborn, and then the daughter that I have now, they were supposed to be twins. Wow. So, and then I said, sorry. I said to her, I'm like, how you're doing? She's like, oh, I'm just great. I'm like, well, how's your grandpa? Speaking of my dad. And she goes, yeah. oh, he's fine. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, you tell you, uh, give him a hug for me, would you? And she stepped to the side and he, he came and gave me a hug himself. Wow. So last night was so amazing for me. It would be so nice knowing they're together as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they do lots of stuff together. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he mischief, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what happened, like medically speaking? The doctors, well, I didn't want them to cut her open because that wouldn't alleviate any of our pain. So I didn't want an autopsy done. But they looked her over as much as they could and they couldn't find anything. And I know the reason that she made that decision is so that it would force me to go to the temple. Because, as I said, uh, my husband and I, we were partying at the time. Well, I wasn't partying while I was praying with her, obviously. But um, after I had her, I decided that I wanted to go to the temple. Because the temple is where you make your families forever. Okay. So I told my husband, I'm like, I'm going to go to the temple. You don't have to. Like, you're in charge of your own life. But I have to do this for me. And so I started going back to church and doing the things that I had to to go to the temple because you have to have uh, recommend that your bishop signs and that the stake president signs and you sign it um, so that you're worthy to go to the temple, that you're living a Christ-like life in that. And uh, shortly after I started going back to church, my husband started coming mm. and it really shocked me. Because I know how much he does not like church. Mm -hmm. And uh, I asked him about that. I'm like, why Why did you do that? Because recently he has stopped going to church and started drinking and uh, smoking and got a tattoo. And Well, I'm not against tattoos. That doesn't, but other more religious people in our community frown upon it. And uh, so he's gone the other way. And so I asked him about when we went to the temple together. I'm like, why did you do that? Because it's such 
a big commitment. It's like the highest level commitment that you can do in our church, in the church. And, uh, he said, because I wanted to be with you. Yeah. So Shelby pushed me in that direction. And I know that's why I had the miscarriage and why she made the sacrifice to, uh, not have her experiences on earth. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then there was a third, a, um, a second miscarriage, sorry. Yeah, I really believe that's because the baby's body didn't form like it should have. I don't think it had to do with anything like spiritual or big or anything like it did with Shelby or when I miscarried the twins. I just think it's because the, yeah, I was 10 weeks again. 10 weeks again. Yeah, and I wasn't going to go through the DNC again. I trusted my body that it knew how to take care of itself and which it did. Yeah. Yeah. I've never done a DNC either. I just deal with it naturally and. Which is awesome. Yeah. And. The, for the, this third pregnancy again, did you feel ready after this this new punch in the face? Like I say, my for myself, I, yeah. It must have been especially hard after a stillborn. Yeah. yeah. We were really trying. We were really consciously trying to start our family. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. it's very brave to try again, honestly, because. I mean, speaking from personal experience, it took, I mean, we had a miscarriage and then, you know, this abortion happened and it took us two years to even consider it again, to even have that as a conversation. I couldn't imagine, I I couldn't, to have to make that kind of decision. Yeah. So God bless you for that because that had to take a lot of strength. Yeah. And then, and then again, like, like, I mean, they're completely different circumstances, yeah. but I mean, even like trying to think about, okay, do we want to put ourselves in that situation again where the same can, thing could happen again? Like, it's so yeah, like, brave, I think, for any woman to want to do that, you know, like, over and over I, again. I, I feel yeah, it's every time it's harder. Per, pers- that's my personal experience. For me, every time it's harder to try again. Yeah. Um, like, the, the, the way I pictured it one day when we had a conversation is that like, every time it happened and it's been like four pregnancies now it's like there is like a piece of me like that you lose yeah and, yeah and i don't know how much i can take like i i don't have an unlimited amount of pregnancy i can go through like this one i don't know i just nothing excites me about being pregnant anymore yeah like, i understand I that i'm just scared as shit about it and, yeah and, terrified of it and um yeah like it's this it just scares me. Yeah. What's next? Like, because also every time it's been different. So it's not like I know that one thing can go wrong. And if luckily we can avoid this one thing, it's fine. It's like there's so many components, so many things that can go right. wrong. Right. It's a and, miracle and, that any of us yeah, are alive. Because yeah, that's when I realized it. <laughs> yeah. Because you have, you have the sperm and the egg and they come together. So first they have to join. And then they split into two, those two split into four, those four split in, you know? So not only are they splitting apart, but they're making a bigger 
one. Yeah. So it's a miracle. You know, all of the um, conditions have to be right. Yeah. So each human is such a miracle. But in the society in general, we take it for granted. It's like normal. And yeah. It's just like a kind of normal thing. Like, you know, people get married, they buy a car, they have a baby. It's just like a thing. Like it's, it yeah. sounds that easy <laughs> when we, the way we talk about it. Um, so having this realization that, uh, that actually is, it's a miracle and everyone should feel extremely lucky to have... Uh, yeah, to be alive and and also to be able to have a healthy children, children and everything and yeah, yeah, like every, every time is taking a hit. And well, and what uh, what's upsetting too is that um, people who want to have families, like we've been through, or other families who can't have children at all, and then they see other people who have children out of wedlock who are prostitutes who are addicted to drugs and they just get pregnant and they have babies and they give the babies away or throw them in the garbage or do whatever horrible thing it is they choose to do with the baby. And then here's good people who want them and understand the sacredness of having to bring or being blessed to bring these, these spirits into the world. And just the hard part is seeing our, like all our best friends just, Oh, I'm pregnant, and then I'm like, "Oh, I've got a baby," and I'm like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> right? Because <laughs> yeah, like... obviously everyone at this age, you know, is <laughs> popping up babies, so it's yeah. Every few months, you have a new one going. And... Yeah, well, you have a success story. So you then had yeah. four children after that. Yeah, yeah. So we have a daughter, and then three sons, and we had them like we had them like clockwork every three years. So 2000, 2003, 2006, 2009. And then, so the first one, she, I had her normal, good. She, I had an epidural with her. She was great. She was born in the fall and in Utah it's cold and we have the flu season. Oh yeah. (laughs) And she got sick and that was hard. And, um, it seemed like a darker time not a dark time just like we were young we didn't know how to parent we didn't know what we were doing and so on so um and then we had our next one was a boy and of course the the father is always always wants a boy right (laughs) and um we were camping and the day we got home from camping i had a doctor's appointment and he wasn't due for another month so I just figured I was going to go in for my checkup and every, you know, it was fine. But when we went in, um, they found out that the baby didn't have enough fluid. Mm-hmm. And so the doctor's like, you, you can't replace the fluid that fast. We have to take him out. Right. So I had a C-section that night. And those aren't any fun. But even though he was early, he was five weeks early, and he was four pounds, 10 ounces, um, he was healthy. He was just fine. Yeah. And then the next baby is the best, is the best story, because um, I'm like, okay, I placed a baby for adoption. I've had a miscarriage. I've had a stillborn. I've had a baby with an epidural. I've had a C-section. I want to have, I want to have a baby. <laughs> I want to have a baby naturally 
Like yeah. women's bodies are made for it. Even in the abdomen, the muscles are positioned in a way for childbirth, different than a man's muscles in his stomachs are um, arranged in the body. Okay. So I'm like, I'm going to learn how to uh, have a baby naturally. And so I did some research and I finally decided I want to learn about hypnobirthing, which just the name gives it a bad rap. You're not hypnotized. They just teach you how to use your mind to be able to work with your body, to move the baby out of your body. Is it a bit like meditation kind of? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I was in the middle. I took a long enough time to decide what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it that I started late in my training of hypnobirthing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I ended up in, obviously, I, I go into labor and I'm only partway through my training of hypnobirthing and I go into labor and I, I plan it out cause I have long labors. So I go into labor at night and I'm like, Hey, maybe if I go to bed, this, this will go away. I didn't. So I got my night of sleep. I took the kids to babysitters. I took the, the teenagers that I took. I took, I dropped them off at school and then I went to, took myself to the hospital to have the baby. And I, um, I knew I was going to be in labor for a while. I had a high risk doctor. And so I'm like, okay, I'll be there for however long. I'll let my husband work the day and then I'll call him when I know it's time that the baby's going to come. Yeah. So I go up to the hospital and find out that my doctor is sick and he's not there. Perfect. Yeah. So I have what's called an attending physician. So a substitute. And he, they hook me up to the monitor and they're like, he says, look at your contractions. They're, they don't look like they're supposed to, you're not in labor. And I'm like, I've had several kids before this. I know what I'm doing. I know what this is, but you're stupid and I'll go home. Mm. I told him that. So I, I couldn't even drive home. I was on the freeway and my foot would let off the gas during contractions. Like I barely made it home. So I pick up the kids and um, I, yeah, I, I picked up the kids and um, so I had the girl and the boy and then the one I was in labor with at the time and they were trying to console me and you know how women get when they're in labor and they get, uh, <laughs> you know, we're like really <laughs> monstery. <laughs> My daughter, she brought me her little toy. She's like, here, mom, have Mr. Giraffe. He'll make Aww. you feel better. I'm like, get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, maybe if I get in the bath, you know, things will calm down and it'll be okay. Because um, was he early? can't remember if he was early. I mean, it was within the normal range of having in yeah. of the due date. So, um, and then... I got in the tub and it just opened things up. When you relax and let the body work, it's just going to help things along. <laughs> I found out. <laughs> yeah. So I called my husband. He only worked down the road. I'm like, you need to come get me and take me to the hospital. He says, right now? I said, don't take your time. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes to get me. We take the kids back to where they were and we head up to the um, we head up to the hospital. Now, this is 
about 40 miles that we have to drive to see, cause that's where my specialist is. Well, he's not there, but that where the hospital was. Yeah. And, uh, I had already gone through all of my training of hypnobirthing at this point from when he picked me up and I started using it in the car and, um, it just, it became too much. And so we had at the time an extended minivan. So it's a little bit longer than a minivan and it has three rows of seats and he's in the front driving and I'm in the very back and I had just cleaned the car. <laughs> oh, I know why this is going. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so there was nothing in it too. I totally emptied it out. I didn't have any, yeah. I didn't have anything in the car at all. And so I'm, I'm gripping the seat and I'm like, Oh God, Oh God. And then I think to myself, am I taking the Lord's name in vain? No, I really need him. I really need him. And so I'm like, Oh God, Oh God, in the back seat. And I'm screaming and I'm, I asked my husband between contractions, I'm like, how can you take the screaming? You know, you can't stand when our kids scream in the car. Yeah. He said, well, you're in labor. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> I said to scream. <laughs> yeah. And so um, in the back, I'm like gripping, gripping the seat and screaming and calling for God. And um, uh, he go, my husband, he goes, we're passing an ambulance and it has its lights on and we're passing it. Does that make you feel better? I said, they have the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting closer to the city at this point And, um, the contractions stop altogether and everything is calm. But I know that this is when the body transitions and opens up so that the baby can come out. Mm -hmm. The calm before the storm. Mm -hmm, exactly. And um, so I sit up and I'm relaxing and trying to gather my energy. And I'm like, okay, maybe this can hold on for like the 10, 15 minutes that it takes to get to the hospital. I'm like, please let this be the case. No, no, no. And so, um, this, I could feel it and I braced myself and the contraction comes and I just, I'm like, honey, I'm sorry. I, there's nothing I can do. This baby's coming. So it felt really weird, but I took off my pants. So, and I pushed, well, not sure how that happened, but I pushed and my water broke and um, I'm like, how close to the hospital can we get before the baby actually comes out? Are we actually going to make it to be it delivered at least at the hospital or so another contraction comes and his little foot comes out. Yeah. And oh I could, God. yeah, just one lit his left foot and his leg are, are out. And I'm like, okay, you know, this is, this is happening. There's nothing I can do, but go with it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And so I push again and his other, well, I tried to pull on his little leg, but you, you can't because of the suction, the water is already out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you, it, it creates that suction, the, um, on the inside, it's going to want to hold on. Right. Mm -hmm. So his, his, when I pulled on his leg, it left a bruise. I felt bad, but, oh. <laughs> um, so I pushed, I knew that I couldn't pull him out. So I just, I pushed again when the next contraction came 
and his right leg and his abdomen came out. And I'm like, okay, this is... And your husband is still driving, right? He's still driving. Yeah. So we're, we're getting <laughs> into this... the whole thing, right? Yeah. So he's, dri he's like, do you want me to pull over? And we were in the city because you get off the freeway and you have to drive through the heart of the city to get up on the hill to the hospital. Yeah. I'm like, if you pull over, people are going to want to come look. And I, I'm bearing, <laughs> like I'm, I'm naked. I don't want people yeah. to see this. So don't pull over. Just get the only, <laughs> the only reason I wish he would have is so that he could have helped birth him. Yeah. I real that's what I really wished for. That's my only regret. Mm. And so, um, I push again and then one shoulder comes out. And then the other shoulder kind of slides out. And so just his head is stuck in me. Oh I'm like, goodness. oh my God, he like, he's going to suffocate if I don't push him out. And so um, at that moment when I realized that if I didn't push out his head, he would die. And it took all my strength and prayer and that is the moment this is like the pinnacle i got to stand at the door between where we come from and how we get here mm. i saw my dad i saw my grandmas i saw other families i saw other angels all standing there because when i was chanting oh god oh god it was bringing all these protective angels and surrounding our car, surrounding me, surrounding my husband. Wow. So all of this could transpire and everybody could get where they needed to be safely. Yeah. And um, so I got to see him. And my dad, he holds up the baby and he kisses him on the head. And then he puts his arms out. And that's when the head came out. And my son has that white spot of where my dad kissed him on the head. Mm. So that's the, that's when I died was giving birth. Wow. Yeah. My goodness. That's a story. That is a story and a half. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. I can't even, I can't yeah. even imagine your husband driving like freaking out yeah. with that going on in the back. I can't even imagine the scene like the whole... <laughs> And you had a fourth, another a fourth one, right? Yeah. After that, yeah. Yep. Well, that must have been yep. boring after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I bend down all the other avenues, so there was nothing new to learn. So they put me on bed rest with him. So, oh, my husband joined the army, mm. and got me pregnant and left for six months for training. Thanks, husband. <laughs> he did. Um, he did boot camp and he did AIT, which is. Uh, the specialty training for whatever your job's going to be. Okay. And so he's gone for six months. And he comes home, and the minute he comes home, they put me on bed rest. So I, I'm on the couch for like a week or two. I'm only allowed to go to the bathroom mm -hmm. because of all these other experiences I had being pregnant. And uh, finally, Halloween rolls around, and uh, every year in my neighborhood, they do this fall festival where people dress up. They have a chili cook-off, and, like, it's one of the best events of the year for the neighborhood. And so I'm like, 
it's not going to hurt if I walk three houses down. Nope, you know, it's yeah. it's in, in, inconsequential. Not true. It put me in labor. And so I went to the hospital the next day, and then I was in the hospital from then until he was born. And he was five weeks early, and he was, um, no, he was seven weeks early. The one that was born in the car and the C-section, they were both five weeks early. And then, so the last one, he was seven weeks early and he had to spend three weeks in the newborn ICU. Right. Oh, yeah. okay. And the thing that was hard about that was that um, if the baby has to stay in the NICU, they still send the mom home. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I knew this was our last baby. And then there was Shelby and there was the one I would place for adoption. Mm-hmm. And so I had to leave the baby at the hospital and go home. I cried all the way home. That must have been very hard. The one thing that um, stuck out to me about that, though, that was very curious to me, and I didn't even know until I learned it, was that I had to mourn my childbearing years being over. It was a very strange feeling. I've heard about this before. There's a YouTuber that I watched, and she was saying that after her fourth one, she knew this is the last time I'm going to be pregnant. This is the last time I'm going to give birth. This is the last time I'm going to breastfeed. And you got to mourn that whole part of your life. So I've kind of heard that before. Yeah. You said it as well. Yeah, it's true. And it's a very strange feeling, but it's still something that you have to process. Mm. Yeah. As a woman. Yeah. Because I think for some women, they think that the pinnacle of their existence is to have children. Yeah. And then to have, to mourn that process being over yeah and so, so now your oldest your oldest child now is 20 yes she just turned 20 last sunday last wow. sunday is that right last monday this week on last monday yeah november 30th wow yeah and she has a baby and she's married oh so your yeah <laughs> oh. i i did what i could to I did everything in my power to make sure what happened to me did not happen to my children, mm-hmm. that they weren't abused, that they weren't sexually abused, that my daughter didn't have a baby when she was a teenager, which technically she did, but, Different um, circumstances. yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny you just said that because when you were talking, you said that, uh, for your f- third, uh, birth, you left the kids at the with a babysitter mm-hmm. and I, I actually thought about that i was like i would never trust a babysitter again yeah in, in yeah yeah I, know, I mean it's different people but mm-hmm. I, I don't know I, I just made up this thing I'm in sure my head and uh, yeah yeah no, but it, and it came yeah. up in my head like oh babysitter like yeah no <laughs> i i rarely let my parents or my husband's parents babysit. Mm-hmm. I, we didn't have a babysitter very often, which is why I'm thankful that I took the teenagers in my house because that created a way for me to stay home with my kids. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So this babysitter was a woman that I was good friends with. She had children, my children's age. And I, so, yeah. Yeah, different. 
Yeah. Well, it's it's so nice to hear, like. It's a hell of a roller coaster. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's nice that it's like you know there's a positive ending to all of this. I mean, you obviously didn't have the best start in life, and you went through so much traumatic things that I can't even fathom any of it, let alone all of it all together. But to know that you've now got four children that are healthy and happy and have their own children now and your grandmommy or grandma, I don't know how you like to call yourself. <laughs> People have different names, but it's so nice that it's kind of ends on a high, you know, kind of, I don't know. How... Well, it's a good sign that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, there is, is hope. I mean, whatever you, you can... want to call it, but yeah, this you're not doomed, even if yeah. the foundation can be complicated and, and yeah and, i mean stuff like that like you know life can turn around and and yeah yeah so i just barely last year found my life's calling so one of the memories that i have um from the pre-life is um i was uh talking with jesus about my my journey here I'm sure we talked about what we just talked about now. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I told him to that I needed a concrete spark, so to speak. I don't want to say a sign because people talk about signs all the time. But I told him I, I need to know when I find it. Because, you know, when people ask you when you're little, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I never knew. I only knew I wanted to help people, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So with this memory, I'm like, you need to let me know what I'm supposed to do with my life when I find it. Yeah. So I went to lunch with a dear friend of mine and she told, because we were talking about spiritual and spiritual things and energy things. I told her about my experience with the baby in the car when I died and committing suicide and we were talking about all sorts of spiritual experiences mm -hmm. and um she told me that i should take this class because uh, they talk about energy work and um that's how i found touch for health kinesiology because mm -hmm. even when i was little my hands and my feet always felt like they were on fire mm -hmm. and i always knew that um i have a healing touch um, I know some people don't believe in that, but through all my experiences, I've always felt, felt that I had that, but I didn't know how to use it or to utilize it or how to access it even, but I finally found it. And I know all of my experiences in life have led to this so that I can help other people heal. Is it something similar to like Reiki? Like Reiki. Um, I haven't learned much about Reiki, um, but this is, it's based on muscle testing. And then they use, um, they use the body itself to help balance through using um, neurolymphatic points or neurovascular points or using the, um, the points on the spine, like spinal reflex. Um, Maybe you have a uh, mineral deficient. Maybe you need to change something in your diet. Like there's a lot of different ways to balance your body. But um, I told my teacher, cause she was more on the physical side of it, more of the scientific side. And I told her I'm more on the energy side because of 
how spiritual I am because of the experiences that I've been through, which I'm not sure how much she believes in. So, because I took her class uh, a year and a half. Oh, wow. It's been almost two years ago. <laughs> this so, is just being uh, thrown everyone off. <laughs> yeah. But since it's touch for help, and then now we have the pandemic, people don't want. People. Yeah. And it's to heal physical or spiritual. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like if people are oh, this girl I had an experience with, it's been a couple of weeks ago, I think, where I FaceTimed her and um we went through a series of questions where I could have her ask herself if she's imbalanced for a certain muscle. And we went through uh, the basic 14 muscles um, and I balanced her. I would tell, you know, like, oh, you need to rub this point or hold this, um, hold this point here because it's a pressure point to, to balance whatever she needed. Yeah. And um, she reported to me uh, this week and let me know, hey, I usually get a cough when I'm sick and that didn't happen this time. Yeah, so the energy work is just amazing. If you can open your mind to it, the the body's an amazing machine. It's something that's always been confusing for me. I'm a pretty like scientific guy, like rational kind of brain. Um, right. But actually, it's 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 interesting because uh, when I was younger, I was about sixteen, seventeen, I think. Around that, um, I had, I have no idea what's the English name of it. In French, it's called a Zona. I don't know, it might be the same. Whatever. It was like a extreme rash on the body. And it was like on my arm and on my chest here. Like eczema? But, we, but a whole other level. Oh, uh, okay. It was disgusting. It was like full of like white spots, you know, like oh, full shingles, of shingles, it says. I don't know. I mean, whatever, I, I, don't, I don't know the name. Uh, but like, honestly, painful as, so painful, disgusting thing that I don't wish to anyone. I have no idea how I got it. We still don't know. Um, but it was covering like my my arm here and like this part of my, like my chest. Um, so we went to the doctor and the doctor told us like, yeah, I can give you this pill, but it's probably going to take like a few months to dry the, the 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 tissue and everything and you might leave a scar or whatever okay i mean well if there's nothing else to do you know why not and my dad says i've got this friend uh i think they're in school together um mm -hmm. uh, he lives in a village in a town like 10 minutes away mm -hmm. um he i can't remember the, the exact title that he has but he, he does healing with his hands um it's like he does this he usually heal these kind of things um he's usually pretty booked like people come from like paris and everywhere to see him but i can give him a call because i know him and see if he can see you i was like really like you want a guy to come and put his hand there and you think he's gonna just fix that like i mean right why not <laughs> um whatever he gave him a call we went late at night and i he say, okay, I can, yeah, I can help you. I've seen that before. Uh, just lay there, take your 
top off and and I'm gonna work on you and he just I don't know put a product but he just like rubbed his hand like that and he he never touched me he just yeah. put his hand like around me like a few inches away of my skin mm-hmm. and I have no idea what happened I could feel warmth yes um I could feel something happening it's really hard to describe but it was hot I could feel warmth that's the thing I remember I know what you're talking about and he went through the entire thing like the whole tissue that was like damaged and everything um two days after the whole thing started to dry I went back another time and within like 10 days everything was gone I was like, what the hell just happened? Yep. <laughs> and it still confused me in a sense, yeah. but I know it, it worked. I don't, I still don't understand the whole, because my brain wants to put an equation right. on it. You know, I want to understand it. Well, if uh, you did do, if you did do the um, research, you would find out how it is possible for that to happen. But yeah, it was super interesting <laughs> and like, i still can't explain it but it yeah. was like well okay that works <laughs> so yeah that was a really interesting experience yeah uh, so that's where that's where i'm at hmm. but where i live a lot of people would see me as a witch or as a gypsy or whatever strange name that people give those kind of people yeah. that have those abilities i was gonna say like years ago you must have been called a witch and whatever happened to witches it's crazy you call a witch these days like it's just a name like yeah yeah well i mean historically especially with science when things happen that we don't understand right you are a weirdo a witch uh, i mean whatever name you know like right when we have a history about that right (laughs) my son likes to call me a gypsy so yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm like, uh, if if you understand how, because we're spirits first, we're energy. So if you if you have energy that's out of balance, then your body will bring that to the surface. If you have emotions that you haven't dealt with, and you just suppress them, eventually your body's gonna force you to deal with it because it'll come out in your body. Hmm. Yeah. Um, something you mentioned yesterday that you wanted to talk about. So I'm just going to bring it up. You mentioned that you want to talk about that trauma happens. That when trauma happens, it triggers you to use your other senses. Mm-hmm. So in terms of hearing spirits and energy, and it's kind of a survival response. Right. Do you think that's why you're so connected to your father and to Shelby and to other spirits and that kind of spirituality? Do you think because of your trauma that helped you in your spiritual? Definitely. Sense? I think um, so feeling having the memory of my guide from pre-earth and knowing that she was around and I know it just wasn't her I know it was multiple people or beings or whatever you want to call them so that I could survive right and then when I um when I killed when I drowned myself and then that opened up even more but since I was in the, um, oh, that was at the end. Yeah, that was, this, that was the same week that I met my husband. And I think that triggered the time to heal. And then within that healing, within um, repenting and using the atonement of Jesus, I have a very personal relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just as I work on the spirituality, those, so they were always there, but as I heal and I work on my spirituality, those senses have become stronger. Yeah. Wow. So I think they were always there. I just had to open them up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had, I, I asked my friends for questions. I'm like, I'm going to be on this podcast. They're going to ask me questions. What oh, would yeah. you want to know about me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got, um, somebody wanted to know why I think I was chosen to have these gifts. And I don't think it's that I was chosen. I know that we each have our own gifts. So we each have our own abilities. And so it's not that I was chosen. It's just that because of the experiences that I have, and um, like I said before, um, they have developed yeah, we, to survive. We, we, yeah, We all have gifts. It's just whether or not we use them or how much right. we are feed we are about it. But in a sense, right. we all have some. Uh, and then the next one, um, somebody asked what I hope to get from doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's just the same to help people, to let them know that they're not alone, to give them hope, to, um, I think the more knowledge that we have, the more we grow, the better we are as people. And I'm hoping to that other people will be strengthened through my experiences. Hopefully not that they will have to use it because they had the same experience so that they feel comfort or so that they feel like they're not alone, but so that they can learn through other people's experiences and so they don't have to experience it themselves to know about it. That's what we enjoy, I think, the most. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of things we enjoy about doing the podcast, but I think that's the thing is listening to different stories. And even if I have no idea what you went through, I cannot imagine it. But hearing your story, like, it makes me empathize more. It makes me kind of analyze it. I don't know. It's just interesting to see different people's stories. And it's not necessarily, oh, I feel comfort because I went through that. It's more just, I don't know, I can't put it into words. You connect well, with humankind. You connect with humankind better. And yeah. everyone's got a different story as well. Everyone's got something that happened to them. Whether it's good or bad, it doesn't really matter. Right. But it's interesting yeah. that, like from other people's good experiences and bad experiences you learn about yourself and about your life and what happens to you and other people around you and it kind of just it helps with like perspective yeah in a good or bad way um it's also i think helping we all i've noticed that quite often when we ask like talk to us about your childhood or whatever a lot of people say that i had a normal childhood Mm -hmm. you know like that's like a uh, it's general yeah it's a general statement like a, a, a normal childhood a normal life and normality doesn't mean anything no it we right. all have something normal but it's different for everyone yeah. based on where you live your culture your upbringing your your parents, your parents a- anything yeah. um yep. so well and you carry that information genetically yeah so you have your family of origin and so um you are conditioned through that upbringing but not only that, but you in your genes, you carry that generational information. Mm-hmm. So I went to a conference last year for kinesiology and they were talking about forgiveness, but on a generational level. Mm-hmm. So because of my relationship with my mom, how I said, like, she, you know, you know, she wanted me to be, 
to be a boy and I wasn't friends with her and I didn't agree with the way she mothered and yada yada. So I've been working on my relationship with my mom for a really, really long time, for at least 14 years. And so when they wanted, uh, they wanted somebody to help with the demonstration for this healing generationally, I, I went, I went up there because, um, I've been working on it for so long. I'm like, how am I supposed to heal this? So I know that my mom, um, sent me away when I was pregnant because of the way she was raised. Well, her mom was raised a certain way as well. Yeah. So, um, doing this generational, uh, forgiveness just healed that. Mm. And it was amazing. So through the, um, through the energy work, you can heal past traumas. You can heal physical stuff. You can heal spiritual stuff. Like it, it just is an amazing work. And I, I want to be able to help as many people as I can if they're open. Mm. I know people who were meant to find me will, I just got to keep learning and keep growing and keep sharing like I am here. I'm writing a book and I'm hoping to have it published next year oh, wow. about not only what we've discussed, but, you know, a lot of the childhood experiences that shaped me and stuff that happened to me and things that I did as a teenager and just so much deeper than we've talked about here. Yeah, yeah you can go much deeper in the book, obviously. So, yeah. Cool. Interesting. Did you have any questions, any more questions that your friends asked? Um, just about the book. And I think I got everything else because I didn't have very many replies. Oh, because one of one asked me what prompted me to write because I went to a friend who had just published a book. The one I told you yesterday, Laura Smith, that she wrote about that had a lot of miscarriages. Mm -hmm. Um. I think it's called In Pursuit of Motherhood. So I went to see her because I needed feedback about my book. Mm -hmm. And she asked what prompted me to write a book. And it's just so that I can share like I have here. So people, and I, I got the, um, the impression today to make it into uh, a format where people can keep their own notes. So like a page that they read and then a page they can write on so they can keep their own notes when they read it that's the kind of person reflect on, reflect yeah. on what they're reading and you know how can that impact me or whatever it is yeah yeah or maybe they bought it so that they don't feel alone so they can write their own feelings down yeah yeah wow. i've been working on it for a very long time because it's hard to write it's really hard so it was it wasn't as hard to talk with you as i thought it was going to be there were only a few times that i teared up and got emotional but to see it on paper is a whole deeper level it's like being it's worse i would rather stand in front of a naked cry out crowd than have this book go out but i know that it's gonna help so many people that's what keeps me to write it and keeps me yeah. to moving forward to having it published well because i guess you you have to spend more time with your thoughts and and actually putting them down on the paper makes it really real yeah uh, and and you can see so you got like a f visual feedback about it so right it, 
this I guess it's a lot to process that makes it that way harder than just talking about it. But you, when you talk, you move on to the next subject and everything, so it's it's more like flowing. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Um, just to wrap it up, uh, I I like to say, well, first thank you for your courage, your being so open, being so brave to talk about um everything you talked about it's my pleasure thank you um i also want to say that your husband is pretty amazing um because like you said before um when you told him everything that happened to you previously um i mean i I don't i don't want to make a bet but i guess that would have scared away a lot of men um and I mean, yeah, that's that that's something that's a proof of love, uh, and that's pretty amazing that he accepted it and and accepted to to take you with everything and and to share the life that you you've been having for years now. Um, so really, like, well done to to him on that. And that's that's a beautiful proof of love, really. That's amazing, uh, and I'm I'm convinced that you're gonna help people by sharing that. It's, it's hard, but like we've been saying a few times those stories has to be shared and told because sadly is happening probably to other people in the world uh, we are a lot of people in this world and and sadly some things some people can relate somehow to bits of it uh i have and, found and, more than not abuse happens so much more than we know within yeah. families within communities it's not talked yeah. about yeah and 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 it's a beautiful message to see that there is hope at the end that the things can turn around and and it doesn't have to be yeah things can change so yeah really thank you i really appreciate but appreciate both of you you're both beautiful people and i i hope and pray and wish for you that your dream will come true in your journey of having your family. Thank you. That it will happen okay, for you. Sure. <laughs> Although we know that the journey is not easy. Yeah. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I think Jeremy just said everything <laughs> I could have said. I'm just so proud of you. Thank you so much for being so courageous and brave and honest and raw and open and incredible and amazing and everything that you are because you are everything. Thank you so much. Contact. Thank you, um, Rosie. If anybody wants to contact you, if they've maybe had a similar experience or they want to message you or anything, do you have an Instagram or what's the best email or what's yes. the best way to contact you if somebody wants to talk? So I started my um, business page on Instagram. It's mm-hmm. personal.pathways. Okay. And then I have a business page on Facebook. It's okay. di.snar, D-I dot S-N-A-R-R. Mm-hmm. And my contact information is within those platforms. Okay, so we'll leave that in the yeah. show notes thing. And- oh, and how we found each other on uh, yeah, LinkedIn. I was going to put that anyway. But yeah, yeah, okay. I, I will link everything. So if people want to get in touch with you for whatever reason, just say thank you for sharing or, or anything. I really encourage you people to to just say thank you. Uh, it's always nice. Yeah. <laughs> this was amazing. I really appreciate it. Good. And the, so more, the more you talk about things, um, the more you heal. Yeah. 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 So we really hope you enjoyed that episode and that you gained something from it. 
um if you did make sure to subscribe or follow i never know what it is on these podcast things just follow us whatever it is um we release new episodes every single wednesday so come back next wednesday listen to some of our old episodes there's plenty on there now um lots of different stories and also feel free to share this with people who might be interested people who might i don't know people who might enjoy listening to this episode make sure that you share it and we'll see you next wednesday for a brand new episode thank you guys bye bye